But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let me introduce you to a a dear friend of mine. Philip is uh, not just a friend, he's also our bishop. And uh, he's no stranger to St. Bart's, but I know some of you have uh, started attending since... Uh, we call it, um, well, since, you know, you were last here, which I can't remember when that was, but it felt like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a decade ago. Yeah, eternity, really. <laughs> and uh, we worked together at All Saints Dallas, um, and um, when I joined the staff, um, I had to re-watch Seinfeld <laughs> to understand the, 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 uh, the staff meetings. Um, and I had to watch the Alamo, the original <laughs> yeah. John Wayne version yeah. of the Alamo. There's only one real And Alamo. once I did that, I caught my, my bearings uh, with, <laughs> with Philip. Um, and so, Philip, we're thrilled that you're here. As our bishop here in Dallas, he's also going to be uh, doing the confirmations immediately following uh, the sermon, which will be brief, life-changing, witty, and uh, what else? Winsome. Winsome. Life-changing. Yeah. There we go. Thank For you. emphasis. Yes. Yes. And uh, so I'm going to pray for him before this turns into a stand-up routine, um, so, which would be fun. It could easily be that, yeah. But um, we probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. All right, that's my cue. Lord, <laughs> thank you for Philip. Uh, thank you for the way that he serves so many, so selflessly. And we ask that you put power on his message and that you'd give us hearts to receive all that you have for us in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Right. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. It's great to be here. I love coming uh, to see uh, Dave and Chris and all of you all and for confirmation of a special day that, uh, that this is. <clears throat> it's Trinity Sunday and uh, I'm not go- going to go into the great esoteric uh, understanding of the Trinity except to talk about two things in the Trinity that we want to imitate. And we're going to talk a little bit about imitation and then a little bit about the, the gospel sin and judgment and righteousness um, and then we'll go into confirmation when we think of the trinity the father the son and the holy spirit from all eternity uncreated uh, there's lots of things that may come to mind about what you think when you think of the trinity but two things i think about unity and participation unity and participation There's this incredible unity about the Trinity. You'll never see the word Trinity in Scripture, but we see it as the early church began to look at what was being revealed 
and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this incredible sense of unity, and then we are called to participate in that by imitation. What do I mean by that, imitation? Uh, recently at All Saints, we had a speaker uh, on what we call gospel conversations. We have about once a month or once every other month, and there'll be a speaker that will come in. Her name is Jessica Hooten Wilson, and she is a professor of English at the University of Dallas. Uh, and she wrote one book that I know of, I'm sure she's written others, called The Scandal of Holiness. And she talks about imitation. Let me just quote from that book just briefly. She says this, Imitation is written into reality. All of us are going to imitate something or someone. The reality is that whether or not we realize it, we all have models we imitate. If we do not deliberately choose whom to imitate, we will slavishly follow someone or something without recognizing it. Every culture has its heroes. Every culture chooses whom to remember and whom to revere. Could be a parent, teacher, a coach, a religious figure, a saint, a combination of all of those. But there's somebody or someone or something that we are imitating. And the good news for you and for me is that we are called to imitate the creator God himself. By the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this imitation is something, a power that's given to us that we can hold our hands out and surrender to and say, Lord, come. Holy Spirit, come. Now, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and yet really every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday because we live in the age of Pentecost. We live in the age of the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, Chris talked to you about the, the miracle of community, the miracle of hope, and the miracle of, uh, of our relationship with power. And it's been that way for 2,000 years. And with all the issues the church has, because the church is made up of people, I've always said the church is a great idea on paper. It's just the people that mess it up. But nevertheless, God has been faithful through the power and the witness of his Holy Spirit for 2,000 years. We live in the age of the Holy Spirit. Everything has happened except one thing. There's been the creation, the incarnation, the death and resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one thing is to remain, and that's when Jesus comes back. And in that time now, we live in the age of the Holy Spirit. And wherever the Holy Spirit is and welcomed, there's the church. There's the church in all of her humility and power at once, imitating, imitating the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in that unity, in that power, in that community. So last Sunday, Chris talked a little bit about community. I don't know exactly what he said, but, but there's such a strong sense of loneliness that's come about over the last couple of years that was there even before COVID. And so that understanding of community is something that can really speak to our hearts and speak to our outreaching to other people and to say to other people, come and see. The Lord put on my heart one thing I want to share with you this morning, and this question, what's the difference between St. Bart's and other churches in East Dallas? A spirit-filled, Christ-centered, Bible-teaching, liturgical church. 
As someone said to me the other day, it's a unicorn. <laughs> and yet there's something about the power and the witness that when you come, you expect to meet his presence. There's a holy expectation. What's God going to do? Here on Sunday morning, how's his presence going to be made known? How are you going to challenge or encourage the power that's there for you and for me then to witness to that and to witness the transformation God does in our heart? And so on the night before he died, Jesus stood before his disciples and basically he said this, I'm going to be leaving you like tomorrow, <laughs> but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. So I want to look at our passage for today, the assigned reading, John chapter 16. And we'll look at just a part of it, but beginning at verse 5, as we kind of witness then to what the, whole, the work of the Holy Spirit. And basically he says this, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you're going, because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage I go away, for if I don't go, the helper will not come. The word helper translates the word parakletos. It can mean helper, it can mean guide, it can mean advocate, it can be someone that comes along your side and advocates for you. It can mean counselor, it can mean all kinds of things. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning three things, sin, because you don't believe in me, righteousness, because I go to the Father, and judgment, because the prince of this world has been judged. Three things. The question that we want to ask ourselves this morning is, do we know this answer to these three questions? What's wrong with the world? How does it get right? How does it all end? Because that's what the Holy Spirit will show us. Now, the Holy Spirit's convicting the world of these things. And the question you and I have to ask, how much of the world do we have in ourselves? Let's look at the first conviction. The first conviction then is the conviction of sin because people don't believe in me. That's the sin, to not put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the spell of the darkness of this world that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is trying to dispel, is trying to cut through the fog, to shed light, to recognize our sinful nature. The Holy Spirit in your life at some point, most of you probably, there is that conviction, not condemnation, but a conviction of how far off we are, of how we deceive ourselves and deceive others, whatever it may be. And it's an ongoing conviction because there's an ongoing journey of dying to sin and living to him. But this is part of what the Holy Spirit does. We all want to claim our innocence. You only have to look at children to see that. Having raised a whole bunch of kids, it never was their fault. When something got spilled, when something got dropped, when somebody got hit, when somebody got called a name, it was never their fault. It was always someone else's fault. So it all begins at a very young age. But in this call to imitate, Jesus says, 
I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now look, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world about sin. And sin isn't so much our behavior or breaking rules as it is where do we put our trust? Where do we align ourselves with other people? What is our ultimate allegiance? When I was a lawyer, uh, I remember one day being in uh, an office of one of the partners and, and we were just talking and uh, this guy walked in. He was a bit older than me, not a whole lot older. So he would have been in his like early 30s, mid 30s. And he was saying, I just need one more thing to be happy. <laughs> and whatever that thing was, I don't know if it was a car or a kid, I don't know, or a ranch or whatever it was. But I remember thinking, really? One more thing and that's going to make you happy? The conviction of sin is recognizing that we put our allegiance in the wrong place. There's an enchantment and a spell, if you will, that needs to be broken because there's part of that worldliness that is inside each one of us. That's why we come and hear the gospel again and again every Sunday with the cross because the cross is the tuning fork of the gospel. A recognition of where we need to put our allegiance. A recognition of who it is that we need to imitate. I'm going to convict the world of sin because the world doesn't believe in me. The world puts their allegiance in every other place. The greatest sickness of the human heart is not our behavior or what we do as much as it is who we trust and who we put our ultimate allegiance in. Who are we imitating? Think about that. And ask the Lord to cleanse your heart and my heart and mind of the imitations that are so oftentimes found in the wrong place. Has it happened to you? Have you put your ultimate allegiance on a daily basis in Jesus? You know, when the conviction of sin takes place, there's all kinds of responses. Some people will say, well, I'm really not that bad off. Or some people will say, I just need a little nip or a tuck here, kind of like a spiritual chiropractor. Other people will fall on their face literally before God because they're desperate. They're desperate for another Savior beside themselves. I will send the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. And he will convict the world of sin because the world doesn't believe in me. That answers the question, what's wrong with us? But there's another question. And another conviction that, that takes place. I will convict the world of righteousness because I am going to the Father. Righteousness. How we think we get right with God. How we think that we get right with the world through our own efforts, through our own strategies. We can tell what it is that we're using to get right with God when certain things happen in our life and we get knocked off course. How do we respond? Now, we may get knocked off course in all kinds of ways in relationships, job, business, even internal reflections. And we get knocked off course. And then we say something like, well, at least I am not like and then fill in the blank. Or at least I do and then fill in the blank. There's all kind of strategies that we use to cover up and make ourselves right with God and right with other people. And it's all external. 
It's what we do. It's what we perform. It's what the world says about us that we're so desperate to have the world affirm us. And when the Holy Spirit moves in our heart, then there is such a way that it moves that we're not trying to affirm ourselves all the time. We're not trying to lift ourselves up all the time. We're not trying to get the world's popularity or the world's reputation all the time. And it's always there. But the Holy Spirit, over time, continues to show us, wait a minute, there's another way of righteousness. There's another way of identity. There is another way of hope. There's another way to respond when you get the flash of insecurity. And I get the flash of insecurity every day, oftentimes throughout the day. Feeling insecure, feeling inadequate, not sure of what to do. And then most of the time, I turn to the Lord and I say, Lord, I'm yours. You know I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know my flashes of insecurity. You know my heart. It can be far from you, Lord. I once again put myself because it's your righteousness, not mine. A righteousness that we agree to, that we receive, that we surrender to called grace. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And grace is so unfair, and yet it works. I remember one time I was in the Sinai Peninsula of all places, and, and uh, we were traveling, Claudia and I, and we were with a, our uh, interpreter. Her name was Mohammed, Muslim. And as we were traveling, I thought to myself, well, I need to maybe talk about, like, Jesus or something. That's what I ought to be doing. And so I asked him, I said, so, so Muhammad, what happens when you die? I mean, not the most engaging question, but nevertheless, I, I put it out there. And then he gave a, a, an answer, kind of a long answer. To me, kind of convoluted. I didn't quite understand it. Uh, but I said, well, thank you for your answer. So do you really know what happens when you die? And he goes, no, not really. It's up to the mercy of Allah. I said, okay, thank you for sharing that. Muhammad, I want to share with you about Jesus. That I could be living a life of just no belief and no trust, and yet at some point, maybe even late in life, I come to faith in Jesus. I'm thinking about, of course, uh, the cross, the two thieves at the cross. And then, because of God's grace, I put my faith in Jesus. He's my righteousness. I'm not, I can't make the righteousness of my own. It's not what I do, but what's been done for me. I can spend eternity with him. Even though I've lived a life of far away from God and then maybe even late in life had that turn toward Jesus. You know what he said? He said to me, that's not fair. And I said, you are right. That's what grace is. Grace is a fair. Grace doesn't judge us on our moral ups and our moral downs or whatever it may be. It's Jesus' righteousness. And the Holy Spirit, through you, through the church, is sent to convict the world of righteousness because Jesus has gone to the Father. And the third question, how does it all end? Well, the Holy Spirit will convict the world, and listen to what it says, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged when 
when the night before Jesus died, there was a trial. It was a sham of a trial. And in that trial, the Son of God was indicted. Indicted by the religious leaders, indicted by the Roman leaders, indicted by you and indicted by me, indicted by the whole world. It used to be in the ancient days that there was an understanding we are the one that are judged and that we have an accusation in our life and we come to the Father and ask the Father, God, how do I live my life? Now, as C.S. Lewis wrote in God in the Dock, it's God is the one who is judged. And he was judged 2,000 years ago by the world. And because of that judgment, he goes to the cross. And everything should have gone terribly wrong for the rest of the world's existence, but it didn't. And you and I know why. Because the ruler of this world was judged at the death and the resurrection of Christ, where death died. And the enemy was ultimately defeated, and you and I don't have to live in the fear of death. You know what that means? All the little deaths that happen every day. I don't mean our ultimate death, but all the little deaths, you know, we die every day when things don't go our way, or someone says something mean about us, or some whatever it may be, little deaths. We don't have to live in the fear of that anymore because we're his the judge of this world, the ruler of this world has been judged. The enemy of this world has been judged. And it's the Holy Spirit's conviction of you and me and the reconviction oftentimes, the overtime, the conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. And to that, then, you and I can hear the word of the Lord say, come. Just Come. In fact, did you know that the Bible ends with that word, Revelation chapter 22? The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Say that word with me, come. That's what you share with the world. That's what you share and know in your own heart. It's the work and the mission of the Holy Spirit to continue to convict the church of these things so that the world then can show, so the church can show the world in these areas of their life and ask the question, who or what are you imitating? I go back to Jessica Hooten Wilson's uh, book about that imitation. And I ask this question. Can you and I assent to the generosity of God? Can we know the infilling and the indwelling of that Holy Spirit in such a way that we know our sinful nature, that we know our righteousness, and that we know who really rules this world? Over the past two or three years, like no other time in, in my ministry, have we seen everything just kind of get cattywampus upside down, everything kind of trying to tear us apart. And you here at St. Bart's, and we at All Saints Dallas and other churches around this country and around the world strive and work to keep the plumb line of the gospel front and center with the power of the Holy Spirit. And with that power of the Holy Spirit, there is a certain expectation in a few moments 
I'm going to be laying hands on people that are being confirmed or received into this church. And I'm going to pray that power of the Holy Spirit over them. But before I do that, I want to pray that over you. That you will know this helper, this guide, and this power. In a course that we do over at All Saints called Novo, some of you may have done that, it talks about word, deed, and power. Most Christians will talk about the word, that's great. Or maybe the deeds, that's great. But fewer Christians talk about the power that's in them to live this kind of life. God didn't leave you. Jesus didn't leave you on your own. He said, I'm leaving, but I want to give you the Holy Spirit so you can know this power to imitate him. And it begins in the interior reality, I need a Savior. I can't trust myself. All my strategies for saving myself, they're going nowhere. They're of no avail. And yet Jesus comes. And he says to you and to me, come. So if you will, and I know you do this a lot here at St. Bart's because I know Dave and Chris and the leadership of the ministry, but we can't do it enough. So if you will, just where you are right now, remain seated, hold your hands up, close your eyes, and don't peek. And I'm just going to ask you to say with me, come Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to leave a moment of silence. There's hardly ever any silence in church. We're always talking or getting talked to. <laughs> so we need to leave this moment. So say it with me, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Say it again. One more time. And Jesus says, I'm leaving you, but I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Who will convict the world of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father. Of judgment because the ruler of this world, evil and death, has been judged and defeated. Now, Lord, let us live in that power and that witness in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.